You're listening to the RUF at UT podcast. You're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And you are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. For more information, go to www.utk.ruf.org. Okay, so we, this is our last um, RUF large group of the semester, and we've been exploring the topic of relationships this semester, and I've been trying to say each week that you were designed to be loved and to love as you relate to these four fundamental things, as you relate to God, as you relate to yourself, as you relate to other people, and as you relate to the world, and tonight's our last Night, we've been talking about how you relate to God, how you relate to yourself, how you relate to other people all semester long. We got one night to talk about how you relate to the world. And this is where I wish we had like 10 more weeks because there's so much stuff that we could talk about, which I think would be really important. We could talk about uh, what it means for how you relate to the environment. Uh, We could talk about what it means on how you relate to alcohol, how you relate to technology, how you relate to gender, how you relate to race. Uh, All of these would be very important and significant things to talk about, Um, but we're going to talk about work. We're going to talk about work, and the reason why I want to do this is because um, I think this is such an enormous topic that I think most people don't really know what to do with. I mean, if you think about your life, for the the rest of your life, from, you know, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., you know, five days a week, most likely, you're going to be working. And what do you do with all that time? How do you understand your work? What do you, how, how do you understand it? And so I'm going to be talking about work broadly tonight. Yes, I'm including your schoolwork, your homework, your study work. Is that a word? Study work. Um, but I also mean uh, like doing laundry and cleaning and cooking and like yard work and checking email and doing your taxes, like all of that work. Work is so important. I mean, if you think about it, this is the reason why, this is why you're here. This is why you are at the University of Tennessee. You're here to get a degree so that you can get a job. This is why you're here. Work is such a big deal. This is the second question everyone will ask you once you graduate. You know, I go to parties, social events, whatever. That sounded weird. I go to parties, y'all. I mean, look at me. I, um, whenever I'm with people I don't know is what I meant to say. Whenever I'm with people I don't know, after they ask you, what's your name? They always ask you, and what do you do? Like, this is just how we relate. How, what, what is it that you do with the bulk of your time? What do you do? Work is such a big deal. So I thought it'd be worth talking about. And I, and I came across this illustration this week by this guy named Alistair McIntyre, who's this um, Scottish philosopher guy, and he came up with this illustration that I thought was kind of interesting. He said, imagine that you are standing at a bus stop outside one day, and a man walks up to you that you do not know, never seen him before, and he says to you, quote, the name of the common wild duck is Histrionicus, Histrionicus, Histrionicus. Now, you would not know you, you would know what that sentence means. You know what those words mean in that particular order, but you would not know why in the world that person said that to you. The only way that that sentence would make sense and the only reason why that event would make sense unless you put it in a story. You have to have a story to explain what just happened. So, as the illustration goes, uh, one possible scenario that could explain wh- why that person just said that to you is that maybe this person is mentally ill and he just walked up to you and just said, 
the Latin name of the, Latin, of the common wild duck. That's a story that would explain that particular event. Uh, or you could say, okay, maybe another story is that this guy, uh, yesterday he was in the library and somebody came up to him that looked very similarly to you and asked him, hey, by the way, what is the Latin name of the common wild duck? And he didn't know, but he looked it up, and now he sees you waiting at the bus stop, and he has mistaken you for that person, and he comes up and he gives you the answer. That makes sense of it. That's a story that explains what just happened. Or option three, here's a possible scenario. This is a um, foreign spy and a trained assassin that is waiting at a prearranged rendezvous point, and that was the secret code to identify his contact. That is a story that would explain why in the world he would say that weird sentence to you. But the the point is, is that you have to have a story to make sense of why that is that. And you have to have have a story uh, in order to know how to respond to that person. So if you think this is scenario three, this this is story number three, and this is a trained assassin, and you decide, I am going to try to kill him first before he kills me, but the story is actually story number one or story number two, that would be really bad. So Alistair McIntyre explains in his little illustration. But the point is, if you, if you put this thing in the wrong story and you respond wrongly, then things are bad. My point with bringing this up is that if you don't have a story to fit work into, then you're going to respond to it badly. And your life is not going to go great. You have to have a framework and an understanding of why this is. How do you think about work? How do you think about what you're going to do really for the bulk of your life? Um, Why are you working? Are you working really simply just to get a paycheck? Is that the whole point? Is it really just to make a living? And why should you do the particular work that you're planning on doing? All of these questions will get answered based off of what story you put it into. So what I want to do tonight is is offer putting the Bible, putting work into the Bible's story and see if that makes sense, see if that would be helpful. I I basically want to invite you to recover the biblical vision of work. So what we're going to do tonight is really just look at the story in three different chapters. The Bible actually has four chapters about this particular topic. We're just going to do three. So let's do these one at a time, three different chapters. Chapter one, we'll go one at a time. Chapter one, you could say is this. Title of chapter one, work is good. Chapter one. So let's look at Genesis chapter two. We didn't have anybody read it here, but I'll read it for you um, right now. Genesis one and two, it tells you the story of creation. And what I want you to notice really with that Genesis two passage is that it highlights the fact that God is himself a worker. And I'm going to read it in such a way that hopefully makes that clear. So Genesis chapter 2 says this, verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Verse 3, So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Three times it tells you, God works, he works, he works. And then you jump down to verse 15 of chapter 2, and look what it says. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it. And to work it, y'all. To work it. And to keep it. And so here's the point. Because human beings are made in God's image, we reflect. Part of what it means to be made in God's image is that you reflect God by working. 
God says, this is who I am, this is what I do, and so I want that to be what you are and what you do. Working, what my point is, is that working is, is a core component of what it means to be a human being. This is intrinsic what it means to be a, a person. I mean, think about it. Work is one of the only things that you can do in large amounts without it killing you. That's not true of other things. Food, sex, alcohol, Fortnite, these are all great things to be enjoyed, but if you don't enjoy them in moderation, you destroy your life. But like the, the, God commands you in the Bible to work six days and then to rest one. That's not really like moderation. It's not a balanced ratio. Work six days, rest one. Work is one of the only things that you can, that in fact, God commands you to do in large doses, and it doesn't kill you. When I was, uh, when Catherine and I, my wife and I, we drive around with our kids, and we listen to music a lot in the, just in the car. And they've recently discovered, I don't know how they have discovered the song, but they've recently discovered the song, and they want to keep listening to it, Big Rock Candy Mountain. Y'all know that song? In the Big Rock Candy Mountain, you never change your socks. It's one of the lines. And so it's like this, it's this folky Appalachian kind of song, which, by the way, it's written, the guy who wrote it was born in Knoxville. So, like, shout out to Knox Vegas. So, um, Big Rock Candy Mountain is this song about, like, I want to go to this fantasy place where everything is awesome. And, and this week when I was driving around with our kids and listening to it, because I was thinking about this song, one of the lines stood out to me that I've never noticed before. And here's the line. It goes, uh, here it is. He says, um, I'm a going to stay where you sleep all day, where they hung the jerk that invented work in the big rock candy mountain. And I'm like, what? <laughs> we're, we're, letting my children, we're letting our children listen to this song about, like, let's go to this fantasy place where dead bodies are hanging. These are the people that invented work, and we hate them. And so I'm like, I don't know if we can listen to this song anymore. But my point is, that whole image is, that's what we think, but it's deeply unbiblical. We think that, like, paradise is a beach where we do nothing and people bring us cold drinks. And we sleep all day and we kill people that invented work, which was God, by the way. But this is, this is the point. But the point is, is that work... Hey, buddy. Um, <laughs> The Bible begins by asserting that work is good. Work is a good thing. In fact, work shows up in paradise before evil and sin ever even enter into the world in the first place. You working is not a result of the curse and sin. Working is intrinsic and it's a good thing. And here's my point. is like you have felt this. You have felt this maybe in small doses or, or, or little taste of this, but you have tasted when work was life-giving and exhilarating, like when you do the engineering problem that's like a whole page long and you work it and you get it right and you're like, yes! When you do the CS code and, and you like, you're working through it and like there's a glitch and you finally find the glitch and you fix it and it executes properly, you're like, yes! When you clean the dishes in the sink and like you finally see the actual lining of the sink again, you're like, yes! When you... <laughs> When you mow the yard and you look back over it and it's, and it's clean and it's, and it's all perfectly shaved down to the right size, you're like, yes! Like, you know what it's like to work and for it to feel like it works correctly. 
Like work is life-giving. Work, work is intrinsic to what, how you were designed. And here's what this means. Uh, this means that not only is work good, but all work is good. All work is good. And I don't think you and I really believe that. Because we put certain value on work based off of how much money it makes. And we say this is, this is valuable, this is good work if it, if it has prestige with it, if it has money involved in it. And so really the question is, are you, are you willing to say, are you willing to believe that being a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad has just as much value as being a lawyer? Or to say being a janitor has just as much value and worth to it and importance to it as being a doctor. The Bible says something doesn't have value based off of how much money it gets or how much prestige it gets, but it has value because that is how God has created work to function. All work is good. Disclaimer, all ethical work is good. Like producing porn is not good work. But outside of that, all work is good. And here's what this means. Also, your current work as a student right now is good. And your work as a student right now matters. Uh, I I came across this um, uh, quote by a guy named Cornelius Plantinga, which is what we almost named our son, but we went with Reed. Um, Maybe if child three comes along, Catherine, I don't know. Cornelius Plantinga Howell. Um, He's got a great book called Engaging God's World, and here's what he says. He says, your college education is meant to prepare you for prime citizenship in the kingdom of God. For four years or so, which by the way, I like how he phrased that. For four years or so, for some of y'all, five or six, um, for four years or so, such preparation is itself a part of your vocation. Your calling is to prepare for a future calling. And he goes on to say, you should be just as concerned with the kind of person you are becoming as to what kind of job you will eventually get. And as, a, and as much about how you will do your job as to which job you will do. Here's his point, is that your job as a student right now is unbelievably important because it is preparing you for the next step. If all you do now is complain about your job as a student, complain about work, or disdain your job right now as a student, you're, you're actually training yourself to never be content with where God has you. Because where does God have you? He has you right now, here, to be diligent and faithful to what he's prepared for, for what you're preparing to do. Like, I need the skills and the preparation to do this thing. This is important what I'm doing right now, not just because of the skills and the education and learning what I'm doing as a student, but also how you're training your character. Your job as a student right here matters. And and I'll say also this as well. When I was in college, um, I thought the only job that really mattered was, like, ministry. The only job that, like, really mattered. And so, like... It was easy for me to look down on my friends that were like being accountants and engineers. Like, oh, okay, you go be an engineer and you sell out. I'll be over here building the kingdom of God by myself. (laughs) And you just have to see that that way of thinking is deeply unbiblical. Look at verse 15. God commands them to be farmers, not missionaries. That's the first thing that he commands people to do. Like, at least you could say farming is a biblical job. It's right there in the Bible. 
But my point is, there is not a divide between secular and spiritual vocations. All of the earth is the Lord's, and therefore all of it is spiritual, and all of the work is good and necessary. So, that's chapter one. All work is good. Let's flip the page and go to chapter two. Chapter two is all work is uh, broken. Work is good, chapter one. Chapter two, work is broken. You were designed to be loved and to love as you relate to God, to yourself, to others, and to the world. But when you get to Genesis chapter 3, human beings decided to rebel against God. And we said, we don't want you to be the center of the universe. We want to be the center of the universe. And as a result, all of these relationships begin to break. And if we had more time, we would look through all of Genesis chapter 3 that you could see all four of these relationships break. So Adam and Eve's relationship with God breaks. Hey, sweat. Instead of them walking with God in the cool of the day, what do they do? They start hiding from him out of fear. So their relationship with God breaks. Their relationship with themselves break. Instead of being naked and unashamed, they start feeling shame. And so they get fig leaves and they start hiding. They cover themselves up. They're feeling and experiencing shame. Their relationship with each other starts to break apart. They start shaming each other and blaming each other. And and conflict starts to happen. And their relationship with the world begins to break. God says, I'm going to curse the ground so that it's hard and there's thorns and work is going to be hard and frustrating and your relationship with work is going to be all disjointed and broken now. So you have all of these four fundamental relationships that are disjointed and out of whack. And so when you get to Genesis chapter 11, which I included a little verse in your handout, it's a really fascinating story. You have a group of people and they're building a city. And they decide to build this big, awesome structure, this big, awesome tower in the middle of it. And it tells you why they're doing it in verse 4. Look at it. Genesis 11, verse 4. They say, let us make a name for ourselves. And here's what they're saying. They're saying, we want to work and we want to build this awesome thing. We want to do something in the world, not out of love for God, not out of love for others, but so that we can make a name for ourselves. We want this thing to define us. Our, our very identity is wrapped up in this thing. You see what they're saying? They're starting to believe the lie. You are what you do. And when they believe this lie, you are what you do, then everything gets out of whack. And my guess is you might can resonate with that a little bit. Don't you believe that deep down? I really am what I do, meaning I need to, I need to work. I need to be successful because... This is what's going to define me. This is what's going to give me value and worth as a person is for me to be successful, for me to be productive. In fact, most of us deep down, we believe if I am not productive, I am not valuable. I have to work. I need it for my my sense of self, for my identity. And if if you buy into this lie that you are what you do, this means two things practically. Number one, it means you're always busy. You're always busy. I don't know if you've seen the TV show Parks and Rec, but there's a, uh, one of my favorite scenes is when um, Tom and Donna have this little tradition that they do called Treat Yourself Day, right? And this is when they go to the mall in a spa and they pamper themselves and they get massages and they just kind of chill and they buy things that they don't need but they want and they just kind of they treat yourself. And they decide in this particular episode to bring along Ben. You remember? And Ben is kind of the tightly wound, like uptight, like stressed out guy. 
And so they're, they're at the spa and they've gotten massages and acupuncture and they're drinking drinks and there's like this oasis, like waterfall thing in the background. There's like these harps that are playing. It's like this totally serene space. And Ben, here, here's how the dialogue goes. He goes, so treat yourself day is just a day where you go to the spa and then the mall? And Tom goes, I knew you wouldn't get it. And Ben goes, well, I'm a relaxation novice. Please just give me some guidance. And Tom says, the point of this is to pamper yourself. Just relax, man. And Ben says, I can't. There's something about the sound of harps that makes me nervous. And then in like the very next scene, he's getting acupuncture and he's chilling in the spa, and here's what he says. He says, he's sweating, and he's freaking out, and he says, this is literally the most stressed out I have been in my life. <laughs> and here's this picture of someone who's getting a massage and acupuncture, and he's got drinks and harps and waterfall, and he, like, he can't relax. He's so stressed, he can't stop. If he, he doesn't know how to relax. If he's not working, he doesn't know what to do. He gets stressed out. He doesn't know how to relax. Does that resonate at all with you? Where if I stop and I don't do anything, I feel guilty? Where you feel guilty if you're not doing something? Or are you the type of person where if you're not, if you're not doing something, it just it feels like you're wasting time? Like there's no space for pleasure or play or, or just to kind of chill? Like if I stop, it just feels like I'm wasting time. I mean, don't you get angry at slow walkers and slow cars because they're not in a hurry like you are? I mean, think about it. (laughs) That struck a nerve with some of y'all. Isn't it true? I mean, haven't you noticed this? You've said this. I have said this. The answer now to the question, how are you, is busy. How are you doing? Busy. (laughs) Busy. And I think we say that we say that because it's a, little, it's a little bit like a status symbol, isn't it? It's like if I'm busy, if I'm doing a ton of stuff, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. This is the life I'm supposed to live, right? Uh, I'm, of course I'm taking 21 hours and I have a part-time job and I volunteer at Thrive and I'm a young life leader and I'm a small group leader at my church and I have an internship and I go to RUF and I'm on exec and I am starting my own business. Like <laughs> this is... This is some of your lives. This is normal. Like, we, we are so busy. In fact, I came across this quote uh, the other day. Tim Kreider has a book called The Busy Trap, and here's what he says. He says, busyness serves as a kind of existential reassurance, a hedge against emptiness. And here's the line. He says, obviously, your life cannot possibly be silly or trivial or meaningless if you are so busy, completely booked in demand every hour of the day. We need to be busy to make a name for ourselves. We need our productivity to define us. If you, are what you are, if you are what you do, you are always busy. But this also means, number two, that you can't stop. You're always busy and you can't stop. Uh, Sidney Pollack is a famous movie producer. He did uh, Sense and Sensibility, Cold Mountain, The Firm, Talented Mr. Ripley. He died in the year 2007. In the year before he died, there was this article that was written about him because his health was fading, but he, he couldn't stop working. And his family was saying, hey, you're sick, you're dying, we want you to be home with us. And this article, in this really kind of beautifully honest moment in this article, it says, although the grueling filmmaking process is wearing him down, he can't 
justify his existence if he stops. He can't justify his existence if he stops. And then he says in the article, quote, every time I finish a picture, I feel I've earned my stay for another year or so. And I think he's just articulating what's in our hearts, right? If I, if I don't do anything, then like, what am I? Who am I? If I'm not working, if I'm not doing, if I'm not being successful and productive, then like, I don't know who I am. I need it to define me. I need it to make a name for me. And so the question is, do you stop ever? Not can you stop. All addicts say they can stop anytime they want to, but like, do you ever stop? Not just because there's like a school break coming up or not just because you actually need to sleep, but do you ever stop because you just don't let work define you? Do you ever stop just because you're like, I just want to play and have fun right now, not because I need to be doing something? Are you able to stop? Chapter 2 is hard because it helps us make sense of our disordered relationship with work. We, We look to it instead of God to be the thing to define us, and it's killing us. That's why our country is... Work, just a country of workaholics. We need it to define us. But thankfully, there's good news, and there's a chapter three. Work is good, chapter one. Work is broken, chapter two. But chapter three is that work is redeemed in Jesus. Work is redeemed in Jesus. Look at, look at Matthew chapter 11. I include it in your handout. Jesus says this, Come unto me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I mean, think about how crazy counterintuitive and countercultural that is. Jesus doesn't say, hey, come to me, and I'll tell you everything that you need to do in order to be saved. He doesn't say, come to me, and I'll tell you all the rules that you need to obey in order for you to know that you're okay as a person. He says, come to me, and I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest for your souls. In fact, Christianity is the only religion that equates resting with salvation. I included that Isaiah 30 passage in there. It says, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. You will be saved by stopping, by resting. Every other religion in the world says, if you want to be saved, if you want to know that you're a good person, if you want to know that you're okay, what that means is you better get to work. Obey this. Do this. Don't do this. Stop doing this. Start doing this. And you better try really, really hard. And maybe if you do enough, maybe when you get to the end of your life, God will look at it and say, Okay, you're in. That was good enough. This is why, you know what Buddha's last words were? Buddha's last words were this, strive without ceasing. Strive without ceasing. You better just keep going and do not stop. And the, I mean, the, American, you know, the religion of American culture is telling you the same thing. Get on the hamster wheel and you better run your brains out. You better keep running and you better keep going. You better pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Busyness is a status status symbol. The more you have, the better you are. Acquire, acquire, acquire. And we get on the treadmill and we run and we run and we run and we run and we run. And we just strive without ceasing. And Jesus comes along and says, hey, come to me and I'll give you rest. How in the world can Jesus say that? Here's why. Because Jesus did the work for us. You know what Jesus' last words were on the cross? He says, it is finished. You know what he's talking about? All the work that needs to be done for you, he says, I've done it. 
everything that needed to be done for you to be okay, for you to be saved, for, for you to have uh, a sense of self. He says, it's finished. I've done it all for you. I've done the work for you. That's why he says, come to me and I'll give you rest. Because there's, there's no more reason to prove yourself. There's, there's, no, there's no reason to make a name for yourself. I have given you a name as a gift. I've done the work in your place. And you get it free of charge. And you did nothing for it. Um, our son, Reed, Cornelius Planiga, um, he's five years old. And if you are on the RUF Instagram uh, account, you will know that every Saturday... He plays soccer, and I video. You know, we 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 film his some of his soccer things. And if you're unfamiliar with our, our son, he's horrible at soccer. <laughs> the rest of the kids on the team are like good, and they're running around and kicking it. And he is the mo- he is a space cadet. They are playing, and he is literally taking off his shirt and like wiggling it in the air. And everyone's playing around, and we're like, read the ball's over there, and the ball will come by, and he will, this is, he, he will kick it sometimes like this, but like, he's horrible. And so, he's, he's super fun, it's super fun to watch, though. He's, he's now doing basketball, so if you want to get on the RUF Instagram, we're doing him playing basketball, which has proven so far to be just as funny. But, <laughs> but we found out today, this is news as of like 5 p.m., I didn't know this, my wife was out running errands today, and she ran into his coach, and so a couple weeks ago, they had like their big end of the season tournament. And so we went to the first game and Reed was his space cadet lifting his shirt, doing his thing. And we won the first game. But like that meant, of course, our team goes on and plays the next game. But we had to leave because we were going to the UT football game and we wanted to do that. And so we left the tournament. We went to uh, the football game. I didn't even think about the rest of the tournament again until, this was a couple weeks ago, and until today when my wife runs into our coach and he's like, hey, did you hear the news about our tournament? We're like, no. He's like, we made it to the championship game. We played five games that day and made it to the championship game. And we're like, what, really? And then he says, and we won it. We won the entire championship. And so he went to his car and gave a golden medal to my wife. And so she comes home this afternoon and puts it. So my son Reed has a golden medal around his neck. <laughs> right now, and guess what he did to deserve it? Nothing! (laughs) I think the only reason they won is because he wasn't even there. (laughs) But here's my point. Someone else did all of the work. He did nothing, and he gets all of the credit for it. He's wearing a golden medal right now. He's a champion. Sleeping in his bed right now with a champion medal around his neck. He did nothing. This is what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a Christian, fundamentally, what a Christian is, is someone that rests in the finished work of Jesus. He has done it all. There's nothing that I could do, and so I simply rest in what he has done for me. And you know what that does? It frees you to breathe. I don't have to get on the hamster wheel anymore. I don't have to prove myself anymore. I'm free to fail, free to try hard, and free to mess up. I don't have to, ha- I don't have, to have this be something that defines me and makes a name for any- in me anymore because... I am loved. That's who I am. I am resting in what he has done for me. You know, this is why, this is fascinating, but this is why 
the Christian Sabbath is on a Sunday? Have you ever thought about this? Why is the Christian Sabbath on a Sunday instead of a Saturday? Well, the way that the calendar used to works, at least kind of the way it used to work in the Jewish mind, is that the way that the rhythm of the week was is that you worked six days and you rested on one. And so you worked, 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 and then you kind of rested on the weekend. You worked in some ways for the weekend. And that's kind of how American culture thinks about it as well. We work all week so that we can take naps and watch college football on Saturday, right? You work so that you can rest, but with the death and the resurrection of Jesus, it switches the whole order. And this means now, now that as a Christian... You begin the week with resting. First day of the week, you, you begin it by this recognition and this reminder of Jesus has done all the work for me. I have nothing left to prove. He has done everything. And so I, out of that rest, now what do I do? Now I work. From a position of rest, now I move into the week of work. I don't have to work so that I can rest. I have rest. And so now I work. The gospel changes everything about how you work once you move into the week because now you're no longer working out of greed or out of fear or out of, i got to make a name for myself. You're no longer working to prove and justify your existence. You're working out of love. You were designed to be loved and to love as you relate to work, which means your work is, is, is under the umbrella of love of God and love your neighbor. You being an engineer or a barista or a doctor or a pastor or whatever is not just to get a paycheck. But you do those things so that you can love others, so that you can love God. That is how practically you embody love in this life is by working well. That's how you love God, and that's how you love others. And so here's what I want you to think about as we finish. What would your life look like if the reason why you were doing your work and and the, the way in which you did your work was motivated by love? Not by getting ahead, not by making a name for yourself, not by getting money, not by being successful, but actually because of love. I think things would look radically differently. But the good news is that's what's actually being offered to you in the gospel. A whole new way of doing life. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you love us and that you offer us rest so that we would be empowered to work in this world that you have given us uh, to love you and to love others with our work and with our vocations. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.